Welcome to Teach, Talk, Listen, Learn, a podcast featuring conversations all about teaching and learning from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. In every episode, we're joined by colleagues, faculty, and instructors from across our campus to talk teaching. I'm Bob Dignan, and I'm usually in every episode, but today's episode features a producer on our media team, Tyler Skank, who had my back while I was out and interviewed the keynote speaker at a recent biannual symposium entitled Reimagining the Classroom. Sarah Rose Cavanaugh was the keynote speaker and is a psychologist, professor, and senior associate director for teaching and learning at Simmons University, where she teaches classes on effective science and mental health, researches the intersections of emotion, motivation, and learning, and provides educational development for faculty. Hope you enjoy this conversation all about community building in the classroom. Tyler Skank, it's September 16th, 2022, interviewing Sarah Cavanaugh. You've just given the keynote speech at the Reimagining the Classroom Symposium. Could you please give the listeners a few highlights from your presentation? Sure. So the highlights of my presentation, I think, were that we're focused on building community in our classrooms, both online classrooms and face-to-face classrooms. And what I like to think about is looking outside of higher education to see some sources of inspiration that might be sort of unexpected. And so today we talked about honeybees social neuroscience, and outer space team dynamics. But our conclusions were that students feeling invested in the work of the classroom and invested in each other and like they are working with the instructor and with each other on shared goals can be really powerful for teaching and learning. In your work, you emphasize building community. What obstacles do you foresee campuses encountering while working to build a strong and vibrant learning community. Great. Well, I think that we're facing a lot of challenges coming out of the pandemic because we've been separated from each other. A lot of our students, especially our first-year students and our sophomores, are coming to us having had a pretty disrupted late high school experience. And I think junior and senior year in high school is often where you figure out what a college classroom is going to be like and you gain intellectual ownership over your ideas and you work on small groups. And I think a lot of our students are coming to us not having had those experiences or having them disrupted. And so I think that we will need to be even more intentional than ever before in building community and scaffolding and modeling those sorts of behaviors. How do we work well on a team? How do we uh, co-create together this space where all ideas are respected? I think that we'll just have to be very intentional about that because I think it is a challenge. Does attention span factor into your work at all? I think so. I think that one thing that you develop as a teacher just intuitively, even if you haven't been reading about pedagogy or going to workshops, is that students' attention wanes and that you have to mix things up, right? Uh, And so I think that most instructors over time fold into this uh, approach in the classroom where we think more modularly and in breaking the class into meaningful units that then we can introduce each unit with something that's engaging. And that is a lot of the focus in my first book is using emotion to do that. And how do we engage students and and it's really about grabbing their attention and I think that we tend to drift off when we're doing something that we don't see as valuable and 
so demonstrating the value of what we're talking about, the relevance perhaps to future career or current events or uh, some transcendent sense of purpose and and doing those things with at the at the start of each of those modules, I think can re refresh attention. Excellent. Thank you. One of the key aspects of this conference is calling attention to changing dynamics in both the design of classrooms and in how we teach. What are some things you've noticed on your campus or in your connection with other colleges? Do you see any trends emerging? Mm -hmm. I think the main trend, again, comes out of the pandemic and is the question of how can we take some of the things that we learned when we had to pivot uh, and had to do more flexible classroom approaches and had to think about blended on in online environments, taking some of the best of that and leaving the bad stuff <laughs> and, and integrating it, even if we're fully face-to-face -face again, I think is one of the, the themes we're going to see. And I think that for faculty, staff, and students, there was also a lot of flexibility uh, that was introduced because of the pandemic. Things from everything from remote work to being able to zoom into class if you're feeling sick. And human beings get used to things very quickly and then expect them. And I think that we're seeing that uh, at both the student, staff, and faculty level. And we are going to have to figure out, administrators are going to have to figure out as a community in higher education, we're going to have to figure out uh, to what degree do we need to reduce Reduce flexibility now that things are returning to so-called normal, but or to what degree should we be implementing these? It's, were they better? You know, was some of this flexibility better and more empathetic and more compassionate? And I think that will be a difficult discussion that we're all going to have to have together. Traditionally, students come to the campus, right? Traditionally, people will come to campus to work. Uh, there's hardly remote days. Um, do you feel that a lot of the incentive to bring students back, to bring faculty back to campus is based on the financial needs of the institutions? Interesting. Um, universities and faculty pulling back on the flexibility that the pandemic had and some of the practices that we engaged in, I think, comes from a couple different sources. I think that there are economic influences, particularly with trying to bring students back to campus because universities make quite a bit of money off um, the dorm fees and the living fees and 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 that's how they survive. And so I think that there has been a lot of attention paid to how do we get students to return to campus rather than want to be fully online and um, pay different tuition. On the faculty and staff side, I'm not convinced that the university loses out economically from people having more flexibility and more remote work. In fact, I think the opposite. I think that they're probably more likely to retain faculty and staff. Uh, and not retaining faculty and staff is very expensive <laughs> if you have to recruit and hire new people. And so I think that that is not as economically motivated. I think what the motivation for a lot of the decrease, uh, arguments for decreases in flexibility have to do with is this sense that in the classroom, it's not as rigorous to be flexible and that students are not going to be challenged enough, that they're not going to learn enough. And I think on the faculty and staff side, there's this idea that uh, people are going to take advantage, that they're not actually going to be working from home. <laughs> and I think both of those concerns are a little ill-placed. I think that flexible classrooms can be 
indicative of greater learning uh, that can encourage students to work harder and uh, more elaborately. I do not have any concerns about faculty and staff uh, working less when they work from home. And again, I think it's important for retention. The one caveat I would say is I don't think just all the flexibility in the world is the best approach <laughs> for students, uh, at least in the classroom. And I think we saw this in the early days of the pandemic. I at least observed it on my social media uh, where I follow a lot of professors and a lot of people in Centers for Teaching Excellence where early on in the pandemic, instructors were deciding there's not going to be any deadlines, for instance, in my class, and we're going to have best by dates instead of deadlines, and students can pass things in whenever. And I think that that can be dangerous for students uh, who have a lot on their plates, who are especially younger students who are learning time management skills. Um, I think structure with added flexibility is much better than pure flexibility. So that's the one caveat I would add. So that's an excellent way of putting it. Are there any strategies or resources you have found useful in working with faculty that they seem to be the most receptive towards? Great question. I am actually working right now on a conference presentation with three other people, and we're presenting it at the Pod Network Conference in November, which is a teaching and learning conference. And the topic is micro-sessions. <laughs> because what we are finding on our campus and what I've been hearing on a lot of different campuses is that faculty are overloaded, uh, that they're burnt out, and that they also, I think, engaged, many faculty engaged more with Centers for Teaching Excellence and things like that during the pandemic because there were so many challenges, right? New, moving things online, uh, how do you Zoom teach, how do we reach students? And so they really threw a lot into that. And now that things are settling down a little bit, I have been hearing reports and observing on my own campus kind of empty workshops and uh, throwing Zoom parties and having two people show up and things like that. And I think it's part overload, part burnt out, and part, you know, faculty have been dedicating themselves a lot to deal with the pandemic. And now they have to catch up with their research and their writing and <laughs> all these other things. And so one thing that we're trying and one thing that we're advocating other campuses try is what we're calling micro sessions and is really just a broad term to mean short and sweet. What are mini things that we could do? Not an hour-long workshop, not um, you know a, a long community of practice. Can we get faculty in for 15 minutes? Or can we go to department meetings and just run something with individual departments for 10 minutes in the beginning of their department meeting? Can we get faculty to contribute asynchronously? We're going to try on my campus. I have no idea if it's going to be successful. Uh, something using Flipgrid, an online resource where people can record little videos on themselves. And we're going to have faculty share in just five minutes something that they've tried in their own classroom and it's gone well. And then everyone can watch and comment, you know, so are these, are there ways that we can make faculty and educational development just bite-sized? Excellent. Thank you. Do you have any predictions for the future of higher education? One or two things that you see looming on the horizon, either good or bad? <laughs> Um, one thing that I think is looming on the horizon, although looming is a loaded word, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that's positive is 
just the theme of the conference today, renewal, regeneration, I think that people are craving that. And I think my talk went well, but it was interesting in the beginning, I started with um, some negativity, right, about the student mental health crisis, about faculty burnout. And I've been doing that on other campuses and I felt like that went well, but today I was like, I, this isn't the vibe I'm getting, getting from this room. And I think that we're ready for some positivity and we're ready to reconnect. And I, that makes me hopeful that I think that we're headed to an exciting time. The other thing I would say, the other trend I would say, and maybe this is uh, self-focused because I'm doing some work on it, but I think we have to do something about grading. And that's where I ended my talk today. And I have an NSF grant that's tackling grading in undergraduate biology classrooms. And one trend that I'm seeing across campuses, it seems like everyone, including my campus, uh, for their fall book clubs and keynote speakers are, are bringing in um, some of the folks who have challenged grading, things like ungrading. Uh, we're having Josh Eiler out in a few weeks to talk about his new book on uh, that he's calling Scarlet Letters, <laughs> uh, How Grades Are Harming Youth. And in the NSF grant, I've been interviewing Intro, intro bio faculty about their assessment feedback and grading practices. And when I say grades, when I ask them about grades and what they think grades mean, they just, their whole body slumps. They're like, oh. <laughs> um, and I think we're poised at a moment where there's going to be change because what we also are hearing in these interviews is that all these biology instructors, so many people are doing innovative things, uh, but they're tweaking they're just doing like little tweaks mm -hmm. to their to their courses yeah. to try to make uh, assessment more motivating and less discouraging and uh, inequitable. And what they are all saying is that I'm doing these tweakings. It's making things a little better, but I need the system to change. And I think the energy is growing for that. I mean, that would be a big effort <laughs> to, to change grading at the higher ed level, but... I think the energy is growing, and I look forward to seeing that come to fruition. Well, that's an excellent answer, Sarah. Uh, you said the vibe was a little different when you started your presentation. Mm -hmm. It might have been a little more negative. Can you elaborate a little more on, on that? It's just like my work on teaching. <laughs> and, and one of the things uh, I've done the most thinking and reading and writing and researching about is emotional contagion in the classroom and the emotional climate in the classroom. And I think that... You know, veteran teachers who've taught a lot, long time, you can feel the like, you can feel it. Uh, and it's interesting to me. We, I also did a qualitative interview study of students about their best and worst learning experiences, and they all talked about this. They talked about the energy in the room, the vibe, synergy. There's all these terms that sounded almost mystical, which was very interesting to me. But, uh, yeah, you just, you feel when something's landing. I mean, it's probably all just very subtle facial expression, body language, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And if you're attuned to it, you can feel that and you shift gears a little bit. Uh, and it's not to say that, 
you're pandering to the mood of the room <laughs> and you're, you're doing something different because people aren't pleased. That's not what I mean at all. And sometimes we want people to be upset, right? We want people to be outraged by certain topics. Mm -hmm. uh, we, and, and some learning is really difficult. And, uh, and so attending to the emotional climate of the classroom or in the room, I think is um, sometimes just acknowledging it and saying, okay, the vibe's off right now. And I know this is tough material, but this is why we're doing it and being transparent about the learning goals. Mm -hmm. And, and working together. But I think that that is better, even though you're not shifting your instructional strategy, stopping for a moment and acknowledging it, I think can be a powerful move. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, thank you. And thanks for listening. The website for this year's symposium is linked in the description and contains materials from the event and also some related resources. Of course, we're happy to connect about this topic and more. Our email here is ttll at illinois.edu. This podcast was produced by the Center for Innovation and in Teaching and Learning at the University of Illinois. Episodes can be found on our website, citl.illinois.edu, and on major podcast platforms. We hope you'll find us there and join the conversation.